Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, One Life Church. How are we doing today, everybody? Man, it is so good to see you. Hey, if you just walked in the door, I want to welcome you. My name is Rhett. I am the lead pastor here at One Life Church. It is an honor to have you with us. Hey, aren't you thankful for our incredible worship team, everybody? Can you put your hands together right now and let them know how much you love them? Man, I am so proud of them. I love our worship team so much. It's like when we get to heaven, I'm kind of, I'm probably going to miss it a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's that good. And I mean that with all my heart, but hey, we're going to have a lot of fun today. We're in, like Nick said, we're uh, finishing up a series today. We're calling the Daniel Dilemma. We're in part four of that today. But before I tell you more about that, can we do something that we do every single Sunday? And that is, can we put our hands together for our online church podcast family right now? Let them know how much you love them. Come on. Yeah, if you're joining us online, uh, listening to the podcast right now, we want to say we love you so much. We're so thankful that you would take some time to hang out with us. You are our family and we cannot wait to see you soon. And uh, we're just glad that you're along for the ride. So, all right, you guys, like I said, we're in the middle of this series. We're not in the middle. We're closing out a series we've been doing all month called The Daniel Dilemma. And uh, before we just really get into it, though, I want to remind you that we are a message note taking church. What does that mean? It means we just simply like to take notes, uh, not just for, you know, the fun of it. I mean, it is kind of fun. If you've never tried it, I would encourage you to try it today. Go to olc.church, pull out your smartphone, your dumb phone, your laptop, whatever electronic device that you have. Swipe down and there's a button that says message notes, message notes. And the reason we do this is because we not only want to inspire you on a Sunday, but we want to give you the tools that you need in your tool belt of life, if you will, on Monday through Saturday. And we hope that you will follow along, fill in the blank. You'll also have an opportunity uh, to email the notes to your You can email them to a friend. You can even save it as a PDF document. And I know some of you, you're like me back in the day, man. It's like, man, I'm not a note taker. That's cool. I mean, I'll do that at school, but not at church. And if that's you today, can I encourage you? Maybe just at least try it once. Try it once and see if it won't change your life. I promise you it will. All right. So here's our hope for the entire series. It's my hope for you today. It's to teach you how to live well, how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise because the reality is you guys my friends it doesn't take two seconds to turn on the news today and recognize or even go to work or even hang out with some people to recognize that our culture is shifting in fact it's shifted a whole bunch and the question we're actually answering throughout this series is is it possible as a Christian as a man or woman of God a believer in Jesus Christ is it possible to be a light in the middle of this dark world is it possible to live in this world but yet not be defined by the world. And these are the questions we've been asking over the last three weeks because honestly, I feel that one of the greatest tensions that you and I face as Christians here today is the dilemma of the tension of trying to live a godly life in an ungodly culture. And this series has really been really dedicated more towards Christians. Now, if you're unchristian and you're here today, we love you. Our arms are wide open for you. We're so glad that you're here. But this series has specifically been designed to help Christians navigate the tensions that we're facing right now in our culture. And in week one, what we did is we discussed, and really honestly, if you missed week one, it's the foundation to everything that this series has been about. And in week one, we talked about how Jesus came and he gave us a standard. His standard was truth, but not only does he just give us truth or his standard, but God also gave us his grace. He gave us his grace, which was a gift, or it was his favor. And what we talked about was that how truth without grace or standard without favor, truth on its own can come across as mean. But grace or favor by itself without truth, that can come across kind of meaningless. But when you put standard and favor or truth and grace together, what you get is medicine, you get healing. And God has called us as Christians in our society and in our culture today to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, to make things brighter, to make things better. How do we do that? We do that by living a life within our culture that is filled with truth and grace. 
and grave. So in week two, we talked about really more, it was kind of a heavier message. It was a topic around what this ungodly culture even looks like. And what I really proposed to you and submitted to you in that series or in that message, honestly, was that there's a spirit that's been around even from the beginning of time. It's a spirit of pride. And it's not basically a locality, but yet it's, it, it is a mentality. And that mentality of pride, this me, myself, and I in this world revolves around me. There is none besides me. This kind of mentality leads to chaos. It leads to confusion. And what we talked about in that week is the way that we face this chaos and confusion to where we can experience peace is that we live a life exalting God, acknowledging God. But ultimately, how do we live in a pride inflated culture? We begins when we're on our face before God, when we humble ourselves before the Lord. That's when peace begins to enter our heart. Last week, we talked about how do we live a stand up life? How do we live a stand up life in a bow down world? And what I encourage you is it takes courage, it takes faith. And I encourage you to begin by taking a stand for God in your family. Because honestly, if there's ever gonna be a change that happens in our culture, it's got to start with our family. Can I get a better amen? amen. So it starts with our family and it goes in our relationships and it filters through every other aspect of our life. But today, I really wanna conclude this series because we talked about standing firm last week, but I, I kind of told you last week in the message that you know, we, we're not called to stand firm and be jerks about it. We're called to stand firm and to love well. Everybody say love. love. To love. So I'm going to talk about how do we love well in this culture of compromise. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite verses around love. It comes out of Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Look at this. It says, the only thing that counts. Now time out for a second. Anytime you see a phrase that says, the only thing that counts, you need to stop, collaborate, and listen. Come on, where's my 90s friends at, right? Vanilla Ice, right? You're like, man, my, my God, this pastor's crazy. He's talking about vanilla ice. You got to stop, collaborate, and listen when you see something that says the only thing that counts. You need to pause. You need to reflect because something powerful is on the other side of that statement. What is it? It's faith. Faith. It's this relationship with God that's incredibly important, but faith by itself isn't enough. Look at this. It's this belief in God, this relationship with God that expresses itself through, everybody say this word, love. love, love. Listen, my friends, it's not enough just to stand firm in our faith. That is important. But at some point, there's got to be a byproduct. There's got to be a fruit of our life and that fruit of our life, according to God's word and scriptures, what we see in Daniel's life and what we see in Jesus's life is love. The only thing that counts, listen to this, out of the entire Bible, there's so much to be said in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But if you want to sum it up into one verse, the only thing that counts out of everything, it's your relationship with God expressing itself through love. And let's be honest, the church hasn't always got this right. When I say the church, I'm not talking about one life church. I'm talking about the church overall globally. The church hasn't always gotten it right. In fact, there's been a lot of dogmatic, argumentative Christianity. And this kind of Christianity or this kind of living hasn't helped people. It hasn't brought healing to people. In fact, it's actually done the opposite of that in that it's hurt people. But the Bible's goal is clearly, we see this through scripture, we see it in Jesus's life. The goal isn't to hurt people. The goal is to help people. The goal is to heal people. How do we do that? Well, we do that through love. And that is my hope that I can teach you today from God's word, how to love well in this crazy, chaotic, critical culture we live in. Here's the truth. This is what I want you to see today is that guys, we cannot irritate people and expect to influence them at the same time. Can I get a better amen? Can I get a amen? I mean, I just... I want to sit here in a second and just take that in. Guys, we can't irritate people. We can't act, antagonize people. We can't insult people's intelligence. We can't be critical of people and expect to win them to Jesus. We can't expect to influence them at the same time. You know, I found that it's really hard to win friends and influence people when you're not friendly. You ever notice that? I don't want to be friends with somebody who's unfriendly. I want to be friends with somebody who's friendly, right? And Jesus said the only way they were ever going to influence culture, look at this, John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. The only way we're going to influence it is if we love one another. But it doesn't just stop there. Look at the next line. 
as I have loved you. Like it's one thing to love somebody, but it's a whole other thing to love somebody the way that Jesus is loving us. And Jesus is saying, hey, love each other, but no, I want you to love people as I've loved you, so you must love one another. Why? Look at the rest of the verse. Because Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. In other words, by this, you will be able to influence a culture of compromise. If you, everybody say these three words out loud, if you love one another. Notice it didn't say, by this, all men will know that you'll be my disciples if you go to church a whole bunch. By this, people will know that you're my disciples if you give a lot, if you serve a lot, if you pray a lot, if you do a lot of nice things. No, no, no. People will know that you're my disciples. You will influence this culture of compromise if you love one another. Now, all those things are great that I just listed. They're all wonderful, but they're not the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity. The distinguishing characteristic of Christianity is love. Everybody say love. love. It's love. And so here's the typical response that I get anytime I start to talk about a message around love. And I typically get this from Christians and it's, Pastor, like, this is really basic, man. I mean, like, I didn't come to church to be taught basic Christianity. Like, I want you to take it deep. Like, can you go deep? Like, like, take me deep. Like, I'm coming. To, if I'm going to take some time to come to church on a Sunday morning, it's got to be deep. And listen, if you're a Christian in this room today, can I explain to you what that really means? Christians, we have these little phrases. I call it Christianese. And this word deep would actually kind of fall in that category of a Christianese saying. So when a Christian or if you hear a Christian say, hey, I want you to go deep. What that basically means is, hey, pastor, I want you to confuse me to the point that I leave and go, wow, that was amazing. But I have no clue what he was talking about. That's honestly what that means. And I've just offended all the deep people in the room. It's okay. Listen, you know what I've come to realize is that a person who is drowning doesn't necessarily need the Greek or Hebrew word for life raft. They just simply need you to throw them one, bro. Can you just throw them a life raft? I'm here to throw you a life raft this morning. If you want deep though, you can turn to Luke 6, 27 through 28 for you extra note takers. It's not on your notes, it's not on your screen, but it basically says, love your enemies. That's deep, everybody. Hate, it says, those who hate you, love them. Those who curse you, bless them. Those who persecute you, go ahead and pray for them. If you want deep, that's deep. That's deep, everybody. So love, listen, religion is looking for deep. Jesus is looking for devotion. Jesus is looking for relationship. And I'm here to just do my absolute best with the power of the Holy Spirit to present his gospel, his word in a way that you'll want a relationship with Jesus and experience his love. Paul reminds us, I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, the living Bible. Let love, everybody say love. love. Let love be your greatest aim. In other words, bringing it all down. The goal of Christianity is to love God and to love people. So today, I just want to do my best to help you with this. I'm going to start on the front end of this message with some principles that are found in God's word. And then on the back end of the message, I'm going to give you some practical tools of how to live out these principles. And I want to start with a verse. It's a famous love verse out of the entire Bible. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But before we read the verse, I just need you to know that we're going to go verse by verse. And what we'll discover line by line are these incredible principles around what love is. And what we find is that without love, all I say is ineffective. Listen, guys, if we're living a life without love in our words, what we're saying is ineffective. In other words, it's meaningless. Our words are meaningless if they're not motivated by God's love. So this whole dogmatic, like, well, you're wrong. God says this, I'm right. Like this whole idea of I'm right. Listen, God didn't call you to be right. God called you to be effective. He called us to be effective. And my friends, if we're not helping people, we're wrong, even if we're right. Christianity isn't about winning arguments. Christianity is about winning hearts. It's about winning hearts. The Bible says this, look at this, we're going verse by verse. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse one. If I speak 
in the tongues of men are of angels. In other words, if I'm the smartest, most eloquent person on the planet, but I don't have love to everybody else, I'm an obnoxious, loud, clanging, will you please shut up kind of symbol, right? And I'm just going to step on my soapbox for a second. I mentioned this last week. Just do me the favor of this, all right? I'm not trying to upset you, but guys, we live in a toxic, vulgar, opinionated, critical, commenting culture. We live in this kind of culture and we no longer can disagree with each other for whatever reasons. Like I can't have a differing opinion without you hating me or me hating you. And I'm saying, guys, it's got to stop. And social media plays into this. It feeds it. The political world right now feeds this kind of critical type commenting. And it's toxic. It will hurt you. It will hurt your spirit. And you'll never be able to influence people in culture if you're living your life this way. And I'm telling you, my friends, guys, One Life Church, the change, it has to start with us. This kind of change has got to start with us. So how do we do it? Well, we've got to learn how to control what comes out of our mouth and what comes out of our fingertips. The Bible teaches us Ephesians chapter 4, 29. Hey, my friends, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And if Facebook or Instagram would have existed then, please don't let anything toxic come out of your Facebook commenting or Instagram. No, 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 no. But only what is helpful. For what? For building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Listen, what comes out of your mouth, everything that comes out of your mouth is either building up or it's tearing down. And my hope today is by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am praying that all of us in this room come to a place where we get real and honest and go, God, I need your help because there's no way that I can control this without you. Like there's no way that I'm able to love somebody if I'm not experiencing love myself. I will never have the capacity, God, to live this kind of life without your help. Help me to live this at home as a spouse or as a husband or a wife. Help me to live this life, God, with my kids. Help me to live this at the office with some of those crazy people that are my, you know, either employees or, or coworkers. God, help me to live this kind of life. When the person at the McDonald's drive-thru cuts me off just to get their sausage biscuit 30 seconds before me. Y'all think I'm making this up. Come on, man. Like this happened to me this week. I'm like, Jesus, bless them, Lord. Everybody goes to One Life Church, Lord, bless them. May that biscuit be hot in Jesus' name. Woo, Okay. Confession's good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I'm working on a few things, okay? No, 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 no. Listen, we will speak Ephesians 4.15 in everything. We will speak the truth in love. Everybody say love. love. And in doing so, we will grow in every way more and more like Christ. So without love, the things that I say are ineffective. Look at this next one. All I know, write this one down. All I know without love is insignificant. You know, science says that knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. Now, I don't know whether or not that's true or not, but what I do know is that the ability to know more is coming a lot faster these days. I mean, we've got smartphones, but we've got a dumb world. You know what I'm saying? No offense. It's like we're coming smarter and smarter by the minute, but yet the world seems to be worse off. Bible says, look at verse two, we're going line by line. First Corinthians 13, two. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and if I can know everything, like all knowledge, like there's nothing that I don't know. Thank you, Google. But if I don't have love, well, all I know is insignificant. In other words, Bible says all I am is I'm, I'm nothing. Here's the third thing that we recognize without love. Without love, write this down. Without, without love, all I believe it's insufficient. All I believe is insufficient. Well, Pastor Ed, I mean, I believe in God. Well, that's awesome, my friend. Guess what? The devil believes in God too. But I don't think that makes the devil a Christian. Listen, the belief in God isn't enough. At some point, there's got to be a byproduct of our faith. There's got to be fruit of our faith. And that fruit should be love. Listen, if I had an apple seed in my hand right now, you know, it's a great apple seed. I believe that's an apple seed, but you know what? It does me no good in the palm of my hand. It's useless. 
But if I take that apple seed and I plant it in the ground, I give it the nutrients and water and then it begins to grow and then the sun begins to you know, help it grow. What? All of a sudden now that apple seed is becoming fruitful and it becomes hopefully an apple, what? An apple tree, right? Same is true with our belief in God. It's just not enough for us to have this faith and belief in God. Our relationship at some point has to go to a place where as we're beginning to experience the love of God, our life is reflecting the love of God, just like an apple seed. It means nothing in the palm of my hand. I mean, I believe it's there, but man, I gotta get it activated. I've gotta get it in the soil. It's gotta be in a life-giving church. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Like you've got to be in the right environment, in the right resources in order for that fruit to bear an apple tree. And the same is true with us as Christians. Look at verse two, 1 Corinthians 13, two. Again, going line by line. Listen, if I've got faith, like I believe in God, and I believe that he can move mountains, like I believe that God can do anything, but yet if I don't have love, all I believe is insufficient. It's like I'm nothing, I'm ineffective. I'm not making a difference in my family. I'm not making a difference in culture. I'm not making a difference in my life. Here's the fourth thing that we see going line by line that is without love, write this down, all I give, all that I give is incomplete. Everything that I give is incomplete. And I just wanna state this, my friends, you, One Life Church, you're the most generous church on the planet. I'm so thankful for the, the way that you give so faithfully and so consistently. It's because of your giving that allows us to be here and to do the things that we're doing, planting churches all over our valley and across the country and helping rescue women from sex trafficking. Like your giving goes to these wonderful things, feeding the poor and, and clothing the homeless here in the Boise Rescue Mission, you know, uh, rescuing uh, you know, a woman maybe who, who's pregnant and doesn't know what to do. And then she goes to Lifeline Pregnancy Center and, and then finds hope and recognizes, you know what, that she doesn't have have to abort her baby, but there are options and that she can have that, that baby and that child can have an incredible home and incredible life. These are the things your generosity are going to, but I just want to want you to understand something. It's not the amount of money that you give that matters. It has nothing to do with amount. It has everything to do with the people that are on the other side of what you give. It's all about people, everybody. And if we're not careful when it comes to our giving, we can all of a sudden get pretty prideful in the fact of, look what we're doing, man. This is so cool. Look at what my giving's is awesome. I'm just a giver, right? And all of a sudden it can be a point of pride. But listen, your giving was never meant to be a point of pride. The point is people. The point of giving is people. That's what matters the most. In 1 Corinthians, again, line by line, verse three, look at this. If I give all that I possess to the poor, but if I don't have love, then all I give, it's incomplete and I gain nothing. Here's number five, without love. Here's the principle that we see is that all that I accomplish without love is inadequate. All that I accomplish is inadequate. And I just want you to understand my friends that many of us in this room, we value accomplishments. I value accomplishments. I mean, I know you do too, but I want you to go, I want to go this far and let you know that God even values your accomplishments. In fact, as Christians, as believers, when we die, it says that we, our spirit is now present with the Lord. Do you realize that we're going to stand before Jesus? And guess what he's going to do? He's going to give us a reward ceremony. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. I don't really like the word judgment because in our minds as Americans, we think judicial or things bad. But as a believer and those who have faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ wants to throw a party. He wants to reward you. He does. It's about rewards, but listen, make no mistake. You cannot earn salvation by the things that you do. Salvation is a free gift. His name is Jesus. Romans 6, 23 tells us that this free gift of God, it, it is eternal life, but it comes through Christ. Nothing that you can do, but something that you simply receive. Listen, salvation has nothing to do with what you can do. It has everything to do with what has been done through the power of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, come on, say amen. That's a great place to say amen. So, but I need you to understand that God does value though the things that you do, but it's not necessarily what you're thinking. Because in our human mind, we're thinking of the natural things, right? See, Jesus is not gonna ask me when I get to heaven, hey, what were your numbers last Sunday? Can you tell me how many people you had in attendance? Because based on that number is gonna be the crown that I give you. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. No, the requirement is how, how do we love people? How do we love people? Did we love people well? Were we kind? Were we caring? That's the prerequisites. Like, what did we do with the love of God that we were experiencing? How did we love 
other people. It's based on how we love. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. Again, going line by line. If I give over my body to hardship that I may boast. In other words, if I've worked hard to accomplish a lot. Look at this. If I don't have love, well, when it comes to heaven's reward, when it comes to standing before Jesus, he's going to let you in because he loves you. But listen, you're going to gain nothing. You're going to gain no heavenly reward. You're going to go to heaven. You love Jesus. But if you didn't love people, if you didn't be kind to people, if you didn't serve people out of the love of God in your heart for them, there will be no reward. I gain nothing. Pastor what are you trying to say? Here's the bottom line. What I'm trying to say is that life minus love equals nothing. Not, I'm not trying to say it. The word of God just said that as we've just exposed verse by verse. Life without love is no life at all. My life, your life, this church's life without love is nothing. That's why this message is so important. That's why my hope today is that God would begin to reveal this truth in your heart, that you come to a place and you realize, you know what, God, I can't do this without you. I know you've called me to love others the way you've loved me, but I need to be able to experience the miracle of your love in my own life. And I'm welcoming you, God, in my heart today to help me live this life so I can make a difference in culture, so that I can make a difference in my family, so that I can make a difference in my friends' lives, in the world and at work and the people that you've called me to. My hope is that you come to the place and you recognize and realize this on your own so that you can experience the miracle for yourself. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, we're going verse by verse, four through eight. And before I read this, this is just kind of finishing out the verse and it kind of goes line by line and it tells you all the things that love is and that love isn't. And I wanna encourage you, if you wanna know a really cool thing to do, like circle like this in your Bible, those who brought our old school and have a page Bible, like circle it, highlight it, you know, uh, print these notes off at home uh, and do whatever you can to get this verse in front of you because I honestly believe if you'll take every day at least 30 seconds and read this verse, it will change your life. And it will not only change your life, but it will change others who are doing life with you. You'll influence culture. So let's take a look. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It goes on to say it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does. I highlighted that word. Love does. Love is an action in response to your relationship with God. Love does not delight in evil. No, but it rejoices with the truth. It goes on to say, husbands, it always protects. Hey, wives, it always trusts. For those who are single in the room, it always hopes. For students, it always perseveres. Everybody say these three words out loud. Love never fails. It will never fail you. Imagine what your life would look like filled with God's love in your marriage. I mean, imagine what it would look like if, if God's love was being filled in every aspect of every relationship, of everything that you do in your world the things that you'll face on Monday. Imagine what it would look like if you made the choice to simply be kind every day. Can I tell you what would happen? You would win favor, not only with God, but you would win favor with man. Really? Yeah, check this out, look at this. Proverbs three, three through four. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. In other words, if you'll be faithful, loving God and loving people, look at the rest of the verse. If you'll bind this kind of love around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. You're thinking, what in the world does that mean? It simply means if you'll make this a part of your everyday life, if you do, look at the byproduct, look at the promise, look at the result. If you live this kind of life, you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and the sight of man. So what's the saying? It's saying, hey guys, if you love well in this culture, You'll learn favor with God. You'll learn favor with people. You'll make a difference with your life in the middle of this chaotic culture. And if anyone made a difference in this culture, if there's anyone out of the entire Bible, obviously Jesus, yes. But we're talking about this Daniel dilemma. If anybody out of the entire Bible that's one of my heroes, it's Daniel. Because he stood in a culture of compromise. He stood strong, but yet he was polite. 
He stood strong, but yet he was respectful. He stood strong in his love for God and his love for people. And yet the world didn't hate him. They actually loved him. They respected him and they put him in a position of leadership. This is amazing. I'm about to share with you how we live this out. And it's one of my favorite leadership scriptures in all the Bible. Bible, it comes out of Daniel chapter six, verse one through five. It said, it pleased Darius. So time out for a minute. Who is Darius? So King Nebuchadnezzar has since died. About 31 years and three or four kings have gone by. And then we come to this guy by the name of Darius. He's this king. So this new king of Babylon appointed 120 satraps. Now satraps, we don't understand that. That's basically a mayor, okay? So these mayors, he, he appointed them to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators or governors over them. One of the governors was Daniel. Y'all, this is fascinating because if you don't understand really what's happening, you can miss this. What's incredible about this is here is Daniel in this Babylonian culture. We talked about culture in week two. Daniel was brought in as a slave, y'all. A slave, a Hebrew boy. He wasn't Babylonian. He was a Hebrew. Let's translate that. He loved Jesus, y'all. All right? In a crazy culture, he loved Jesus. And because there were some things in his life, they were like, man, this brother's got to lead, man. Because I, you know what? I may not agree with his faith, but man, there are some exceptional qualities about this young man. We need him in leadership. I don't care if we brought him over as, as a slave. This brother can lead. So they put him in a place of leadership. Look at this. It says the satraps, these are the mayors. They were made accountable to Daniel and these other two so that the king might not suffer loss. They wanted the kingdom to continue to grow and to advance. Watch this. Now, Daniel... He so distinguished himself. Daniel decided to go into culture and not be like everybody else. He wanted to love people and to love God. And so among the administrators and the satraps, how, 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 did, he do, how did he distinguish himself? By his exceptional qualities. Exceptional qualities. This is how he distinguished himself. Listen, I always tell people all the time, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to look the best. You don't have to have the most degrees to win and influence people. You don't have to do that. You just simply have to have some exceptional qualities in your life. I'm telling you, when you do, you'll learn favor with God, you'll learn favor with man, and you will influence this culture. Look at this, his exceptional qualities. Like they loved it so much that the king planned to set him over the whole stinking kingdom. Y'all, if you live this kind of life, you will be blessed. This is what this is saying. Watch this. At this, the other administrators and the satraps, they're kind of upset. They were like, what gives? This is a Hebrew boy, he's a Hebrew slave. Why are you giving him the whole kingdom, basically? And so they try to find grounds for the charge against Daniel. Where, where do they look in his conduct? They looked in how he lived his life. They looked in his government affairs. But check this out. They were unable to find anything against him. In fact, goes on to say, they could find no corruption in him. Why? Because he was trustworthy. And neither corrupt nor negligent. And so after all their searching, we get to this end. They said, finally, whew, they gave up. These men said, man, we will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel. So the question is, why? Why did they find no charge? Because he had a pure heart. It's because he held on to love. And he held on to faithfulness. Despite the culture. And he earned favor with God and man. So how do we live this? How do we live like Daniel? How do we love well in this culture of compromise? That's what we're answering today. I'm going to give you two things that you can do today or you can even start to do tomorrow. So write these down. Don't miss out. You're going to want this. If you really want to make a difference with your life, if you really want to love well, here's the first one. We've got to learn to serve them well. We've got to learn how to serve people, you guys. We got to figure out a way to go into our world on Monday, into our office. I know you work with a heathen, crazy person. I get it. They drive you nuts. But you got to find a way to find a need that they have and fill it. You got to find a hurt and heal it. You got to get really practical with this. Maybe it's taking donuts to the office. Y'all, I'm telling you, you will be everybody's favorite tomorrow. If you take some Goat Star Donuts or Krispy Kreme Donuts or whatever donut, Lonnie sees donuts, everybody. You know what I'm saying? If you take it to work with you and you serve people, well, well, Rhett, I'm the boss, man. I mean, this whole idea of serving other people, I mean, everybody reports to me. 
I don't know if I could do that. Well, guess what? It's even better if you are the boss when you serve people. Let's look at this. Check this out. Paul said it. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 19. Though I'm free, like I'm the boss, I'm the head honcho and I belong to no man. Like nobody can tell me what to do. Check this out. Paul said, you know what? I'm going to make myself a slave to everyone. Why, Paul? So you can win some arguments? No. So that I can win their hearts. So that I can win as many people as possible. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus went into culture and did what I'm trying to encourage you today. And that is, check this out. This is so cool. Jesus connected before he corrected. Jesus connected before he corrected. Well, how do we do that? One word, it's called relationship. We build a relationship with people. And can I make this statement? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. The world is looking for a friend. Everybody's looking for a friend. How do you make a friend? You invite them to coffee, you invite them to lunch, and you don't talk about yourself. You ask them questions. Hey, man, tell me your story. I, I want to know. I want to know everything. And that could be a dangerous question to ask. I know I get it, okay? <laughs> but if you really want to influence people and influence the culture that you're around as a Christian with the love of God, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. When you ask them the question about their story and they begin to talk, do what's very hard for me. <laughs> That's listen. Well, Rhett, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be able to do that well. No, I'm working on it, y'all. I just asked my wife. Listen, listen to their story. And don't try to fix it. Just listen. You know, one of my favorite relationship stories of the entire Bible, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but it comes out of Luke chapter 19. So you can write that down in the side notes and read it later. But I'm going to give you the paraphrased version. It's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Come on, Baptist, where are you at? You know what I'm saying? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. You know what I'm saying? He climbed up in a sycamore tree, right? For the Lord he wanted to see. And some of y'all young people are like, what in the world is this happening to my pastor? This guy's gotten weird. It's an old church song that many people used to sing in what we called Sunday school. And uh, it's about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And let me just tell you what that meant in society. People hated him. He was a scum of the earth. Not because of his profession, but because of how the tax collectors treated other people in that profession. See, the Roman government came in and basically took over the nation, you know, of the Israelites. And so this is a Jew who came on to the Roman side and not only started collecting money for the Romans, but decided, you know what? I'm going to set a little bit more aside for me. So if you owed $1,000 in taxes, you showed up at Zacchaeus' tax booth. Guess how much you owed? 2000 And you couldn't fight him because he would make you pay it. And here's the reality. He would stick a Roman soldier on you if you didn't. That's how corrupt this brother was. And he made millions off the backs of his people. So the people hated him. So we know the man was short because here is Jesus coming through town. And Zacchaeus, he's like, hey, I can't see Jesus. Right? Didn't say that in the Bible, but this is how I paraphrase it. The reason why we know that is because the brother climbed up in a tree. If you're tall, trust me, you ain't climbing no tree. You're just going to stand in the street, right? So he couldn't see Jesus. And so Jesus is coming by and Jesus looks up. You know, Jesus knew everything about this man. And Jesus could have responded, hey, Zacchaeus, you're a thief. All this money you stole from all these good people down here. How could you do such a horrible thing? Don't you know? Like you shouldn't even be in public right now. Get back to your tax booth. Nobody likes you. Y'all, Jesus could have said all that because Jesus knew all that about how he treated people. But Jesus didn't say that. How do we influence people? How do we love people? Well, we follow Jesus' lead. What did he do? He said, hey, Zacchaeus, I see you're up there, man. You know, I, we just thought it'd be funny as God to create you short for this moment. But no, just kidding. Didn't say that. <laughs> this is how my brain works. Sorry. When Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I noticed you're in that tree. Hey, you want to come hang out? Like, I'd love to do lunch with you. Like, can we hang out? In fact, let's hang out at your house where nobody else is around. So you and I can just do relationship. 
Fast forward, Zacchaeus basically jumps out of the tree. It goes to Zacchaeus' house. And now this is the part of the Bible that I really wish wouldn't leave out. Like there's some details. Like when I get to heaven, I'm going to go, Jesus, like what did you talk to Zacchaeus about? He says, don't tell us. He just tells us that he goes, he hangs out. And it's just Jesus and Zacchaeus doing life together over lunch. But what we do see is the miracle that happened outside, on the other side of that relationship. Because what happens is Zacchaeus comes out of the house later after this hang time and a miracle takes place. He comes out of the house, y'all, saying, hey, I'm giving over half that I have to all the poor. And in fact, anything that I've stolen from you, I'm going to pay it back four times as much. So the question is, what in the world? Like, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Life changed, happened in a life-giving relationship through Jesus Christ. That is what happened in Zacchaeus' life, everybody. And this is exactly what Jesus wants to do in and through each and every one of us. And this is why we do small groups. Small, what are small groups? Small groups are an opportunity, a place for you to connect with other people. Not perfect people. We don't think we're Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But it creates an opportunity for you to connect around people who are walking some of the same roads that you're walking. And it provides an opportunity for you to find healing and for a miracle to take place in your own life by doing life with other life-giving people. If you're doing life alone, you got to stop. Your life will never change and you will definitely never influence culture. Culture will always influence you and you'll always deal with the chaos. You'll always deal with the confusion. You'll always deal with the, the insecurity and the lack of peace and, and no hope. I'm telling you, if you try to do this thing called Christianity apart from people, it ain't going to work. It takes people. It takes life-giving relationships. So I want to encourage you, One Life Church, can I encourage you to get in a small group? Can I encourage you to get around life-giving people? Can I encourage you at work to invite a coworker out to eat? Ask them a question about their story and listen to their story. Listen to their story. Jesus did this. Daniel did this. This is how we love well in a culture of compromise. I want to give you the second thing and then we're going to close. Here's the second thing. Not only did Jesus served them, did Daniel serve them to influence culture? And that's what I want to encourage you today. But here's the second thing. When opportunity comes, I just simply want you to share Christ with them. Share Christ with them. For extra note takers, you can just write off to the side, share your story with them. Listen, evangelism isn't getting up in somebody's face. And it isn't saying, hey, you better turn or you better burn. You better get right or you get left. You know what I'm saying? Like, get it together, man. No, that is not evangelism. No, evangelism is simply sharing your story. It's telling people what Jesus has done in your life. Well, here's the clue to that. When do you share your story? You ready for this? It's when they ask. Well, here's the thing about asking. Ain't nobody going to ask you about your relationship unless you have a relationship with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now hear me when I say this. I'm not saying that you need to involve every aspect of your life with the world. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if you want to make a difference in this culture, if we're going to see culture change, if we're going to see culture shift, we got to get to a place where we're asking the questions, we're building a relationship so that in turn they ask the question. Because I guarantee you the world isn't asking them about their story. The world doesn't care. And when they finally find somebody, a friend, who will put enough interest in them to listen and to ask, I guarantee you what will happen. They're going to turn around and go, wow, this is awesome. Tell me about your story. And guess what your job is at that point? It's not to preach. It's not to be dogmatic. It's not to be argumentative. It's just to tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's evangelism. Watch this, 1 Peter chapter 3, 15 through 16. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Like, fall in love with Jesus. Have a relationship with God. And once you do, listen, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. And when they ask you, look at this, give the reason for the hope that you have. And again, notice it didn't say that when they ask, be dogmatic. When they ask, be argumentative. When they ask, be a jerk. Like don't attack their personal belief system. No, when they ask, respond with your story and simply tell them why you love Jesus. And then look at the rest of the verse, because when you do, I love this, 
Do this with gentleness and do this with respect. In other words, do it with kindness. Y'all, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads people to a place of repentance or changing direction or wanting to give their heart to Christ and to come into a relationship. It's God's kindness that leads people to that place. And that's why he's saying, hey, when somebody asks you, just be kind. Respond with kindness, keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you or those who talk behind your back because they don't know you, they're gonna talk about your good, they'll talk about your good behavior in Christ and, and honestly, the world will be ashamed of the fact that they talk bad about you because they didn't know you until but when they found out your story, it changed everything. I love this quote by St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I could have just said that today, right? That's so good. What an incredible quote. This is how we make a change in our culture. This is what it's all about. This is how we love well. This is how we make a difference in a culture of compromise. This is how we do it. In fact, write this down and then we'll pray. That is the greatest influence we have in our world isn't what we say, but is how we live our lives. It's not about what you say. It's about how you live your life. Well, Pastor Red, I really feel like today you're asking me to do really hard things. Like, I can't do this. Like, like I might want to do this, but like, there's absolutely no way. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. Like, this is difficult. And can I tell you, I get it. Join the club. It's hard to love people, y'all. If you're not experiencing God's love yourself. You can't love people. You can't love other people. You can't serve other people unless you're experiencing love yourself or you're experiencing somebody serving you themselves. We do not have the capacity to do what I'm asking you to do today outside of a relationship with God. Look at 1 John 4, 19, last verse. Guys, we love because Christ first loved us. We love people, not because the Bible tells us to do it. No, we love others because we're experiencing the love of God ourselves. We're experiencing his love. We're experiencing his compassion, his mercy, his grace. We're experiencing his peace. We're experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that's producing in us love, patience, joy, kindness, goodness. It's a miracle, y'all. You can't do this without the love of God. When we, when we experience his love, that's genuinely when we will have the capacity to love others. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. We'll be here just another few minutes. I want us to pray. Position yourself in a posture of, of just receiving if you want to. God, we're asking today that you would help us do the impossible. And that honestly, God, is to love people the way that you've loved us. We can't do this without you. And Lord, we recognize today that in order to make a difference in our culture of compromise, the things we say, the things we think we know, God, how we live our life, our belief system, the, the things we give and the accomplishments we have mean absolutely nothing without your love. And so today, God, we return to your love. God, we repent, we turn back to you and we ask God that you would help us. Give us the capacity to love others. So we welcome you and your love in our hearts today. And some of you in this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, you're like, I really want to experience this love. I don't have a relationship. Like if you were being gut honest with God today, you'd be like, I don't have a relationship with God. I mean, I, I think I know God. I mean, I believe God, I've got this belief system, but like, I don't have a relationship with God. And my friends, if that's you today, I wanna to encourage you. You can leave this room here in a few minutes with a relationship with God, experiencing the miracle of salvation that is the love of Christ. It's a free gift. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't pray enough. It ain't about the good things that you do. It's simply about what's already been done. His name is Jesus. And he's the hope of the world. And he's what you've been looking for. You've been looking for fulfillment. You've been looking for hope. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places. But today you found him. His name is Jesus. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to give your heart to him today. Some of you are in this room today. And at one time or another, you had a relationship with God. You were experiencing his love, but your love has grown cold. You've come to a place where honestly, 
like you want to love God, but like it's just, it's just a cold, stale relationship. And if that's you today, it's time for you to renew your commitment and for your heart to be restored and that the joy of your salvation would return. So whoever you are, wherever you are today is the day, now is the time. I'm not gonna ask you to stand. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front. I will not embarrass you in any way, but if that's you today and you wanna walk into a relationship with God and experience his salvation and his love, would you be so bold as to raise your hand right now all across this room, all heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. God bless you, sir. I see that hand, God bless you. God bless you, ma'am, I see that hand. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Way to go. Congratulations. That's the single greatest decision of your life. Now, whether you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand, doesn't matter. It's about a heart that connects with God. I want to encourage everybody in this room to say a prayer like this with me. Say, Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. I believe you died and I believe you rose again. I believe you paid for my sin. And I pray this. Say, forgive me. Change me. Come live inside of me. I put my faith and I put my trust in you today. I say this, say, I give you my life. I give you everything. Say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you to help me make a difference with my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Hey, listen, everybody hang with me just for a second. We're close here in just another few minutes. If you raised your hand or if you said that prayer today, hey, congratulations, welcome home. Now listen to me, it's the first step and it's the single greatest step, but there are other steps to take in this walk with the Lord. All of us are walking these steps. If I were to walk off this stage right now and try to get to my car, guess what? There are certain steps that I would need to take to get there, right? It's the same in Christianity. There are some things that God wants for you to experience well, here's the thing. I want to help you with those next steps. But the only way that I can do that is if I can send you an email. Send you one email. I'm not going to hassle you. I'm not going to call you. I just send, simply want to send you one email that says congratulations. And the way that I can get that email to you is if you'll take time to fill out the connection card that was in your worship guide. Or if you didn't receive that, you can go to olc.church where you were watching the message notes. You can click a button. That says online connection card. And if you'll let us know, we'll send you an email with some simple next steps. I'm so proud of you. Hey, One Life Church family, put your hands together, show some love, and let's celebrate today with all those who made a decision.